Heavenly Father, how we love this time of year because it helps us to put our focus and our attention on the precious gift that you gave to us in the birth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. We thank you for all that that means to us as believers in Christ, for him to leave the glories of heaven, to be born as a man, and to live that sinless and perfect life which we couldn't live, and then to suffer and to die in our place, bearing the punishment for our sins in his body on that tree so that we might live for you. We ask this morning for the ministry of your Holy Spirit among us to indeed uh, cause our minds, our hearts to be focused on the Word of God in such a way that it might have its transforming effect on all of our lives so that Christ would be glorified even through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As we were singing this morning, I was reminded once again that God is always with us. Even as we read through Matthew, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. But let me ask you, what would you do if Jesus Christ came back today? Are you ready? How would you feel? How would you react to the fact that the glorious Savior that we sang about this morning is in our midst? Are there any thoughts going through your mind right now? Thoughts of that might be best described as regret? or anxiety, or maybe being afraid at the prospect of Jesus Christ's return? Or would it be that in your mind and in your heart there would be a, if you will, a humble gratefulness? There would be an eager jubilance there would be a heartfelt welcoming of Christ's return. Would you hide from him? Or would you run to embrace him as your Savior and as your Lord? Well, no matter what our thoughts may have imagined, about this sudden encounter with the living God, we must realize that that day is coming. The Lord has promised it. He has told us in his word to be alert and to be ready for his return. And with that in mind, how are we as believers 
to continue to maintain and live by that hope and have that genuine expectation when we see and we experience in this world, this fallen world, the corruption, the rejection, the prejudice, and the persecution of Christ's church and the rejection of God's Word and the gospel witness of Jesus Christ as it goes out into the world. One thing we need to know as Christians facing these days today that believers have faced this for nearly two millennia. And that is why the instructions that John gives us here in 1 John chapter 2 at the end and the beginning of verse 3 are so relevant for us as Christians today, even as they were for the Christians who received his letter in the first century. Because in these five short verses, John gives to us, if you will, five virtues of what true saving faith in hope of Christ's return will be presented in our lives as we live for the Lord today. There will be a purifying hope that goes on in our lives and a confidence and expectation that we have in a living and risen Savior and His promised return. And it will not be shaken or altered or diminished by the assaults of the evil influences that are saturating our fallen world and our society today. The first virtue that he brings up of what saving faith is is found there right in verse 28. He says that as children of God, we will abide, be abiding in him. We will have an abiding union in Christ. And just as John had said earlier there in chapter 2, verse 27, about abiding in the anointed teachings of the Holy One, he now uses that same emphasis here in verse 28 that we should be persevering in a living faith so that we are abiding in Christ. This abiding in Him is indeed genuine evidence that we truly have His salvation in Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus taught us there in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, when He uses the analogy of us as the branches being connected to Him as the vine and drawing our lives from Him, So Jesus said in that same passage, abide in me and my words are to abide in you. And they must never be separated. 
We cannot abide in Him if we do not abide in His Word. But there's another, if you will, vital aspect that John brings out in this passage, but also that we read about there in Psalm 51, and it's this. It involves us to be people who are confessing our sins to the Lord. John taught us as believers in Jesus Christ previously in this letter that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in Psalm 51, David, King David gives us, if you will, a good pattern or model of what that prayer of repentance should be like. You'll notice as we were reading it, he calls on God to be gracious to him. And how is God supposed to be gracious to him? In his mercy or in his loving kindness and in his compassion. And through his loving kindness and his compassion, he asks him to blot out his transgressions. And then he asks to be washed, to be washed thoroughly from his iniquity and to be cleansed from his sin. And then he makes this admittance to the Lord. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And he says this also. Though his sin was great and it impacted Bathsheba and Uriah and, and the kingdom of God at that particular point in time, he says very clearly, against you, in comparison to all the other sins that I have committed and how I've hurt people in my sins, it is against you and you only that I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And yet he cries out, Lord, wash me. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He says, when that happens, then I can teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. Why must this be so for all believers? It is because, as the Scripture tells us so clearly, we are all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory. And we still all sin. And we need the loving kindness of the Lord. We need the compassion of the Lord to not only forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's in this way that God gives us the ability to remain close to Him to keep short accounts 
with him so that we are in a right relationship with him day by day. And so, as John reminds us in this passage, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. You see, John clearly tells us in this passage that Jesus will appear. We may not be able to see him now. He's hidden from our eyes. But one day, he will gloriously and visibly return in power and in great glory. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, how will we receive him? Will it be in a confidence of faith that we have been abiding in him and him in us? Or will it be in shame because we have drifted so far in our walk with the Lord? John is urging us to abide in him so that when he does appear, we will have confidence and faith and not be ashamed at his coming. The second virtue is found in verse 29. The virtue of true saving faith is the fact that we will be practicing righteousness. It is the fruit of righteousness of being in Christ. It is that refining of our moral habits that are being spiritually, if you will, instilled in us through the work of the Holy Spirit as we lived as God's redeemed children. As John reminds us in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. As the old saying goes, among families, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter. Why is this so? Because we have been born of our parents, and we take on the characteristics of our parents, right? I'm sure that you recall being a child. Some of you are much younger, and it's not such a big recall. Because you're still children or youth. But one of the things that was characteristic of me when I was a young child was this. I wanted to mimic what my dad did. And it was true of my sisters, too. They wanted to mimic my mom. And when we did... What they said, we tried to do. What, what they were working at, we, we tried to accomplish the same things. As the old saying goes, the fruit does not fall far from the tree. And if this is true in the natural life, how much more in the spiritual life of people who have been born from above born again into 
God's family, who have the Spirit of God indwelling them, who are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Just as John told us earlier in this letter, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And as Paul tells us there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're born of him. We should be living in him. We are called to take on the character traits of the righteousness of our Father in heaven. Just as Peter said in his first letter in verses 14 and through 16 in the first chapter, he says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts that were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The third virtue of true saving faith is outlined for us there in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is, you can't capture it in the English, but in the Greek, it is John sort of just erupting in in a miraculous sort of wonder, if you will, of God's love for us. That is ineffable. It's everlasting. And we are challenged throughout the Scriptures to plummet the love of God, its depths, ascend to its heights, calculate the wisdom, of it, as well as to evaluate its breath so that we can know the love of God that is for us because we are in Christ. We are his redeemed and his adopted, beloved children. Paul says, we have been received, we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. And it's in this context that we need to understand the great love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The fourth virtue of true saving faith is found in verse 2. John makes it very clear. We will be like him. We are now children of God, and we're going through this process of being more and more set apart by the Word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be conformed into the image of Christ. But when Christ returns, this process will be fully completed in us. As Paul wrote in anticipation of the Lord's return, he wrote to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, 
For I am confident, he says, of this very thing, that he who began the good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And of course, Paul, again, in his book of Romans in chapter 8, he says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. We will be like him when he comes back because we will see him, John says, just as he is. And the fifth and final virtue that he brings of saving faith is found in verse 3. He says that we will have a hope fixed on him. A hope that purifies us even as he is pure. A life of hope and living in purity will be evidenced in a person who's living in anticipation of the hope of Christ's return. And this verse is key to the entire passage because all the other virtues sort of tie into this one. Because it all ties into that blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It demands of us of having this hope fixed on him and purifying ourselves just as he is pure of the reality that we belong to Jesus Christ. And that we have a hope of being in his presence as our Savior and as our Lord. We know and we understand that the Lord has gone off and he has prepared a place for us, but he's coming again to receive us unto himself so that where he is, there we will be also. This is the hope that is an anchor for our souls. It is sure, it is steadfast, knowing that he has entered the very veil of heaven, ever living, to make intercession for us. It's just as Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Paul says this through inspiration. For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Notice, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Let me ask you, as I did at the beginning of this sermon, what if the Lord Jesus came back today? How would you respond? 
where would you be? Are you and I living out these five virtues of saving faith in the hope of Christ's return? Are we making every effort by faith to abide in him and he in us? Are we practicing the righteousness of God that God is working in our lives? Are we living and in love with our Heavenly Father? Do we more and more want to be like Jesus? Is our hope fixed on Him and on His return? And is it causing us to seek to be purified just as he is pure. One day, Jesus is going to come again and we shall behold him. Amen.